My friends, will you pray with me? Oh, gracious, loving God, we ask that your spirit be upon all of us this morning, and may it be upon me, the preacher. Help me to find the words to convey the transformative power of the gospel. Help us, all of us, to have ears to hear and hearts that are open. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning, Colonial United Church of Christ. It's so good to be back here again with you all this morning. So I just want you to imagine with me what it would have been like to have been there. Been there that day that Jesus came to the Sea of Galilee and called Andrew and Simon Peter and James and John to be there that day. Imagine being there and feeling the wind against your face and the smell of salty sea mingled with rotting fish. Imagine hearing, listening to those waves banging up against the gunnels of those wooden boats. Imagine you could hear overhead birds of prey squawking, circling now furiously famished for fish. Imagine the fishermen, James and John and Andrew and Simon Peter, not fishing for sport, but fishing for livelihood. Men with calloused hands grabbing a hold of rough-hewn rope, the sweat dripping off their beards and weathered faces. Now in the blink of an eye, their lives transformed forever. Fishing nets dropped, dad left behind. Imagine, no hemming or hawing, no guys just go home and think this over and get back to me, send me a text message, no. None of this, hey, here's an idea, I just wanna plant it in your brain. Nothing of the sort, only Follow me. Follow me and I will make you fish for people. I mean, just imagine the scene. If Zebedee's looks could have killed, his sons would have been dead. <laughs> Dad's mouth agape. Picture the astonishment in his face as he watches in horror. His revenue scream, just get up and run after a stranger. From Jesus, no wordy explanation, no opening qualifying remarks, no attempt to appease dad. Hey, look, pal, I'm really sorry, but I need your sons. None of it. As the text tells us, immediately they drop their nets and follow Jesus. He, Mark uses that word immediately twice in three verses, so you get the point. And they left everything behind. They were willing to give it all up because in their heart of hearts, they knew that this was a moment that they'd been born into. This was a call that had come to them from the other side. Destiny had come knocking on their door. Have you ever heard a calling? Do you have a calling in your life? Has destiny ever come knocking on your door? Have you ever had an experience in your life where in the blink of an eye, you take another road, perhaps the road less traveled by? Have you ever had a moment like Paul, 
blinded by light so intensely that he fell off his horse. A moment like the prophet Isaiah when he was in the temple, the holy of holies, and the seraphim came in tongs with burning coal and seared his lips and said to Isaiah, whom shall I send? Have you ever had a moment like Esther? A moment when she had an opportunity to save her people and Mordecai, the words of destiny came from his lips to her and he said, for who knows for that such a time as this you have been born. I want to talk about what it is to hear a call this morning. Partly because it's a favorite subject of mine and Aaron said, I can preach whatever I want to. Wow. But the other reason I want to talk about call is because it is so hard for many of us to recognize that we have a call in our, in our lives. It's hard for us to believe it. You know, and I wonder, too, with these amazing stories in the Bible, being knocked off a horse and lips singed with hot burning coals and Esther hearing this word from Mordecai about being born for such a time as this. It just feels like these are so fantastic. They're out of the pale. How could this happen to me? How could this happen in my life? It seems so far-fetched. And well, you might say, with a preacher talking about calling. Well, that's something for preachers. You know, ministers and pastors and priests are called to ministry, to serve churches, but that's not for the rest of us. Nothing, friends, could be further from the truth. You and I and all of us are disciples who follow in the path of Jesus. Each one of us has a call in our lives. Each one of us has a reason to discover why we are here on this planet. So I want to invite you this morning just to take a few moments to figure out what God wants you to do with your one wild and precious life. Those are the words of the poet Mary Oliver. What is it God wants you to do with your one wild and precious life? From our earliest years as a teenager, think confirmation, to the last years of our life, we all struggle with what it means to have a call in our life, to hear that inner voice. This last January, my mom died. And for many years, or for several years before her death, mom was struggling with severe dementia. She was very confused. She was in a skilled nursing facility. She could not, on her own, go from a wheelchair to her bed. She couldn't go to the bathroom on her own. She needed to be taken care of completely after such a vigorous and independent and active life. And I remember in her moments of lucidity, she would say to me, Pete, I don't understand why I am here. I'm not sure of what good I can be to the world. And then this last January, hours before she died, I was there at her bedside, and I watched as the staff, the therapists, and the nurses, and the attendants, and the others came in and they saw my mom 
and they knew that her time was short. And I watched as the attendants and the physical therapists and others just broke down in tears. And I realized in that moment that they had knew who this woman, my mom, was, and that she had been sharing her sweetness and her joy up to the very last hours of her life. And I wanted to say, Mom, look, you've had a call that you've been faithful to your entire life. So claiming your call, believing you are called, is a radical, radical thing to do. Radical thing to do. It is not something we easily do in this modern world. Because our culture reveres choice. It reveres our freedom. And that's a good thing. We choose our vocation. We choose our job. We choose our mates. We choose where we live. We choose to live in Kansas City and Prairie Village. We choose these things. And yet what I want to affirm to you this morning, my friends, is that we are more than the choices that we are making. Not only do we choose, but we are also at a deeper level chosen by God to live out a call to realize the destiny in our lives. How often is it the case that when we look back on our lives, we realize there's been moments when we received a nudge as if God was directing the path all along. You know, one of the barriers that we face when it comes to believing in our own sense of call is, and what I think this choice and thinking that all life is is about making choices is one of the pits that we fall into is that we constantly compare ourselves to other people. And how much that happens in this day and age and social media and Facebook, and you can go on Facebook or social media and online and find somebody else living this amazing life. Here they are, a picture of them. They're sitting on the shores of a lake with a glass of Chablis in their hand, watching the sunset, and you think, why am I not living that life? Or you go online and see somebody who's been able to write the great American novel, but by the age of 30, and you think, what have I done in my life? It's so easy to compare ourselves to others and get down on ourselves. But friends, I tell you, there's a time in our life when we need to close out those other voices, those other images. We need to turn off the computer and listen deep into our souls for the call that God is giving each of us. What's your call? What's your path? It's not somebody else's path. There's an old Hasidic tale that I love to tell. It's an old Hasidic tale of a rabbi named Zusa. He's a young rabbi, and he's speaking to an older rabbi, and he's saying to the older rabbi, you know, I so often wonder in my life, and I think that when I get to heaven, I'm going to be asked, why weren't, wasn't I Moses? Why 
didn't I accomplish all these great things? And the wise old rabbi said to Rabbi Zusa, he said, now look, when you get to heaven, when you get to heaven, they're not going to ask you, why weren't you Zusa Moses? They are going to say, why weren't you Zusa? You see, the most profound thing is listening to the voice of God calling us to be who we are called to be. And each one of us has a call, and each one of our calls is unique, and our paths are unique. This call thing has been really important to me for a long time, even long before I went into ministry. Speaking of being a teenager, I was a teenager once, I know, hard to believe, but one of the things that I loved doing in high school was track and field. My favorite race was the 880. It's now the 800 meter race, or it's a half mile. It's a very difficult race because it's almost too long for a sprint and it's too short for a long distance run. You've gotta pace yourself when you're running the 880. And what I remember when I would run that race is that I would come out of the starting blocks like grease like boom, I would just tear ahead. But by the time I got to the last curve, coming around to the finish line, I was totally spent. And I still remember to this day watching my competitors just whiz by me. And I had lost my lead. And I could feel the legs were like these heavy weights on the ground. And I could feel my spirit tired. My dad came to one of those races to cheer me on, and I'm sure it was one of those races, embarrassingly so, where I felt that I really finished poorly. I didn't do very well. And he gave me a poem to help inspire me. And the poem was by the famous Secretary of the United Nations, Dag Hammarskjöld. And it's a poem about struggle. Dag Hammarskjöld himself knew something of the sting of defeat and failure when he served the United Nations during the tumultuous time in the early 60s, serving the United Nations, dealing with all the world crisis at the time. Dag Hammarskjöld was a spiritual man, and you could tell that his spirit sustained him in the moments of failure, the moments when he felt like he wasn't crossing the finish line. And so he wrote these words, and these are the words my dad gave me that I've kept to this day. The words go like this, tired and lonely, so tired my heart aches, melt water trickles down the rocks, the fingers are numb, my knees tremble. That's exactly how I felt when I was running, tired and lonely, and my knees trembled and I sweated and I ached and my fingers were numb. But the poem goes on. And it shifts to a place of call. And the poem says, it is now that you must not give in. 
You must not give in. On the paths of others are resting places in the sun. Remember, drinking there, Chablis, by the lake, watching the sunset on Facebook. On the paths of others are resting places in the sun. But the poem says, this is your path. The way chose you. And you must be thankful. The way chose you. Can you believe in your life that the way chose you? Would that every self-doubting adolescent receive a plaque of wisdom from their dad or their mom or an uncle or somebody who loved them and gave a damn about them and help them make clear that their life is a calling even when they're failing you know, it's one thing to say, I choose this race, I choose this life, but it's another thing to say, this life chose me. This life found me. This life called me. You see, in one sense, Simon Andrew and Andrew and James and John, they decided to drop their nets and follow Jesus on that day. But that wasn't all of it. It wasn't their choice alone. They were chosen by God in the flesh of Jesus to come follow Jesus. The first is the choice. The latter is destiny. So tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Tell me, what is it God is calling you to do with your one wild and precious life? Amen.